You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we're in the beginning of chapter 22 and we are circling around issues of food out of Muktsa, but more than that, more than that, we're breaking and making and let's just go through these Mishnayot and we'll see these issues coming out one by one. We talked last time we met about a stone that was sitting on top of a of a jug. We wanted to somehow get the stone off. We were going to tilt the jug to make the stone fall off. And we talked about the risk that the stone would fall on another jug and break it. And remember, we were going to be very careful. We we're going to actually push the jug onto its side so the stone would fall off in a controlled way and we wouldn't break the jug. That was the end of chapter 21. But in chapter 22, as we begin, we are going to break the jug. So we're going to be confronted with a broken jug. Chavit shenishbara, a cask or a jug that was broken. Matzilin hemenu mazon shalosh suda. We can save from it the requirements of three meals. We can save three meals. And this feels a bit like the halacha we learned about when fire broke out. Remember when fire breaks out in a burning house, we can save from it the requirements for three meals. And the sages were anxious that if we were allowed to save more than that, we would be tempted to rush in and maybe put the fire out. And putting the fire out is a problem on Shabbat. And we're not it's not clear why the sages only want us to save the requirements of three meals from this broken jug. Essentially, it's three meals worth of wine. But Perhaps it's because they're anxious that if you spend a lot of time, you will um, you're confronted with the loss of your wine, and you will be tempted to bre- to f- to mend the broken jug. And of course, just because that, just as the sages don't want us to put out the fire, they don't want to break Shabbat by putting out the fire. They don't want us to break Shabbat by mending the jug. And this seems to be why they say. We one may save from it the requirements for three meals, but not more, i.e., the requirements for Shabbat. And just like we learnt in in the case of the fire, and he can say to others, "Come and save for yourselves." So the community can come round and help take wine out of this broken jug. Provided that it's not sponged up, because we don't want to get into a situation of squeezing a sponge on Shabbat. And again, you can we can feel the connection with yesterday's Mishnayot, where we learned that we only handle a sponge if it's got a leather handle on it, so that we don't squeeze it when we pick it up. And the you know there are a lot of mental associations in the layout of the Mishnah. We seem to be drifting from topic to topic. But there are always loose connections between the topics. And the, 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 the broken jug is one connection and the sponge is another connection. And then we're going to carry on with squeezing. We're not going to squeeze fruit. 
just as we're not going to squeeze the um, the sponge in order to get out the juice. We can't. We don't make fruit juice on Shabbat. And if they come out on their own, they're forbidden. Again, the sages seem to be worried that if we can drink fruit juice that just drips naturally from cut fruit, we're going to eventually be tempted to squeeze the fruit to make the juice come out. So the fruit juice itself is forbidden. And um, Rabbi Yudah says, I'm sorry I've translated this as Rabbi Yossi, but it's not. It's Rabbi Yudah. Rabbi Yudah says, Im, Im, I'll change that after the, the class in the, in the source sheet. Rabbi Yudah says, Im mutar. If they're meant to be eaten, what exudes from it is permitted. Im, in other words, if this is fruit which is designated for eating, and we talked a lot about designation of muktza so far in these ending chapters of the tractate, if it's designated for eating, then actually we can let them drip. And actually you won't be surprised to hear that the halakha, the halakha doesn't go according to Rabbi Yudah. The, the drips are forbidden. And the Mishnah then eases imperceptibly from fruit to honey and i i'm not sure why he we why the mishnah wants to bring in honey but I, i'm very conscious of the fact that honey is a substance which seems to be halfway between a solid and a liquid and we are dealing with boundary cases here so perhaps the fact that honey is not quite liquid but not quite solid maybe that's why the mishnah brings in and certainly the way we do prepare honey, the way we do get it out of a honeycomb, and any beekeeper will tell you, if we don't have a centrifuge, and they didn't have centrifuges, I think, in the time of the Mishnah, if we don't have a centrifuge, we do hang it up and let it drip. That's the normal way of getting honey out of the comb. And so the Mishnah says, Chalot dvash, sheri skun of Shabbat. Honeycombs which were crushed um, on the eve of Shabbat. So it sounds like they forced out the honey before Shabbat. And they and then the honey, but the honey is just carrying on dripping out. So they crush them, but the cat the honey carries on dripping right through Shabbat. Asurin. They're forbidden. But Rabbi Elazar permits it. And the halakha goes according to the halakha does not go according to, to Rabbi Elazar. So it's it's not like a process which you set going by Shabbat or before Shabbat and can enjoy later. These are considered to be like um just like fruit juice. Um so in other words, it's not like cooking. Because if if we set the cooking process aside before shop, uh, get going before shop, we can use these things. And the Mishnah is going to continue. Anything that was put into hot water before Shabbat, on Erev Shabbat. We can soak it in hot water on Shabbat. In other words, if it's cooked, if it's cooked before Shabbat, then it can't, it, then if it's cooked, the, the the expression is there's no cooking after cooking once it's cooked before Shabbat halachically you can't cook it anymore by plunging it into hot water after Shabbat so anything that's cooked before Shabbat in hot water we can soak in hot water after Shabbat we can put into hot water on Shabbat and vice versa anything that was not 
put into hot water before Shabbat. We can just rinse it with hot water on Shabbat, as if we can pour over a little bit of hot water. I don't think we do this today, actually, and so I'm not familiar with this in the kitchen for practical terms, but the Mishnah speaks of it and seems to be very familiar with it because it gives exceptions. We rinse it with hot water in Shabbat. And there are certain exceptions. Old salted fish. An old uh, and um, little salty fish. The word Ispani must be cognate with our current word Hispanic. It's Kulias of it's Hispanic culius or Spanish culius, special kind of um, special kind of fish. She had a chatan, zohi gmar malachtan. Because in those particular cases, not in general, but in those particular cases, rinsing them in hot water actually finishes off the process of preparing them for food. So in general, we can rinse, but not in the case of these three fish. Now we're going to go back to our cask. We're going to go back to the broken jug. Shover Adam etachavit lechol hemenu grogarot. A person can break open a cask in order to eat dried figs from it. Ubilavad sheloit kaven lasot kli, providing he doesn't intend to make a vessel. And we learned back in chapter thirteen. So it's a while ago now, but we learned back in chapter 13 about someone who was tearing his clothes. And do you remember we learned that tearing in anger, tearing in anger is not um, considered an act of creation on Shabbat. And you'll remember, by the way, that Maimonides disagreed there. He said, oh, no, 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 there's a psychological benefit if, you're, if you've heard bad news to tearing your clothes. And that actually is creative on Shabbat from a psychological point of view. We found it very interesting that Maimonides, who's the doctor, was sensitive to the psychological benefit of tearing. That was in chapter 13. But the principle that destructive tearing is not an act of creation on Shabbat, so it's permitted on Shabbat, extends through to this Mishnah. You can break open a cask in order to dry, to eat dried figs from it if you're not trying to create something new from the cask. Well, what could you be trying to create from a cask? Well, what if we're not talking about dried figs, but what if we were drilling a little hole in the cask to make a really nice... Um, mouth. That's the example that the Bartanura brings. And I've just brought it right at the end of the the um, the source sheet. The Mishnah says, providing he doesn't intend to make a vessel. And the Bartanura just brings you, brings us four words. La sotla pe nae. To make for it a nice opening. So the Bartanura is explaining this Mishnah and these restrictions on breaking open a cask as something along the lines of, if we're going to drill a hole in a flask to make a really lovely opening, 
And then maybe we could use it as a jug to pour out of with, um, you know, we could pour accurately out of a jug if it's got a nice hole drilled into it. Maybe before it just had a very rough earthenware lid on it. If we if we do that, it's forbidden. But in general, open, breaking a, a cask, breaking a flask, breaking a jug to eat from, it's permitted. But along the lines that we don't want to drill into this, we don't want to drill into this um, uh, cask in order to make a nice entrance, as the Bartonura says. We're not going to perforate the stopper of a cask. So we'd have a rough stopper on our cask. We're not going to perforate it, according to Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi, and Rabbi Yossi permits. And we certainly don't pierce it from its side. So there is a dispute about piercing the stopper, but there's no dispute about piercing its side. Again, we're not going to create some kind of um, improvement in the flask, improvement in the jug by piercing it just to eat it on, to just to take from it on Shabbat. And along the same lines, if it's already perforated, we're not going to place wax on it to stop it up. Because the act of placing wax to stop it up will lead inevitably to smoothing it out, to smoothing it out to make a nice cap for the hole. And we're very close here to probably, we're going to be very close to another malacha. And then Amar Rabbi Yudha, Rabbi Yudha says, A case came before Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakein Arav. We've come across Arav before, actually. We heard about we heard about another incident in a rather few chapters back. Ve'amar. And he said, I fear or I'm anxious that he may be liable to a sin offering. So this is someone who's placing wax on a, on a, on a perforation in a jug in order to seal it up. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said, I am anxious that he may be liable to a sin offering. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. Benedict.